Welcome back. This is the 27th episode of AIR, an interview podcast series with a different theme each episode. Joining me today is UK producer and DJ Henrietta Smith-Rolla, better known as Afrodeutsche. Raised in Devon, England, Henrietta fell in love with electro and techno as a teenager, eventually moving to Manchester, where her debut album Break Before Make helped put her on the map. She has since become a fixture in the city's small but fervent music scene, her DJ sets incorporating everything from footwork to techno, hardcore, electro, and beyond. At home, however, Henrietta is inspired by films like Blade Runner or Anything by Alfred Hitchcock, an interest which sparked the timely, lockdown-friendly topic for this conversation. In this episode, Henrietta and I discuss our favorite movies, the unique craft of soundtrack arrangement, and her first ever score for the 2020 documentary, Kamali. joining me because I'm really excited to finally be tackling this as a topic because I feel like music is one of the best parts of watching films for me. Um, so I'd love to know what was the last good movie you watched and what was special about it? Last good movie I watched? Now I've watched loads recently and now I cannot think of one <laughs> and I knew what we'd be talking about. <laughs> totally unprepared. But something recently. Um, I tell you what actually what really struck me recently was I've been watching loads of, um, I mean, I love television, but I've been watching loads of old, like 90s and early noughties um, films and um, TV programmes, one of them being Desperate Housewives. Yeah, from the beginning, from the beginning, I'm bored now and I've stopped at like season five. Um, But I, I got really struck by the theme tune. I get stuck by theme tunes because they, they, you have to do so much in a theme tune in a really short space of time. <laughs> and I realised it was Danny Elfman. And if, yeah, and if you have listened to the theme tune to Desperate Housewife, it is off its head. In, in a few minutes, he's managed to go through time so he kind of like starts sort of like in the 1800s and the sounds of the 1800s and then moves all the way through the 50s and then you're in the 60s and then you're in the the 90s and in the noughties and it's like he's done that in like fraction like fractal moments and it is crazy and I and I just had to sort of like google who did it when I started watching it and then it was Danny Elfman and then of course I remembered all the other work that he's done Bat- all the Batman stuff which is just brilliant Mm. Um, so, actually, that's a good one. I watched Batman Returns. <laughs> <laughs> I, love I secretly that. love the Batman films. <gasps> I love them. Don't tell anyone. Oh. I really love them. Don't yeah. tell anyone. <laughs> Just tell everyone on a podcast. <laughs> um, but speaking of theme tunes, I would say my favourite is the Curb Your Enthusiasm theme song I don't know if you've heard it but I think it just goes so perfectly with the show like you you couldn't come up with a more fitting theme tune yeah it's funny when you start thinking about theme tunes and the words and what they actually it's like theme it's well it's a theme so it's got to match what's going on in the program and it's actually a really clever thing to be able to do like I love I love theme tunes that's not what I was thinking of at all for this interview but I really like that you brought it up um recently I watched uh The Five Bloods Spike Lee's new film that came out on Netflix did you have you seen that no I've not seen it so I really loved the use of music in that film like it's based around the Vietnam War and it has like flashbacks to war footage and then it follows these four veterans who are going back to Vietnam to like dig up a fortune that they left there and the way that he uses music in that film is taking these like classic 60s and 70s songs that kind of transport you back in time but then they come at like really graphically violent moments in the film so it's quite like eerie almost the contrast between the soundtrack and the and this violent imagery so what is it about a film soundtrack that makes you remember it or that makes a film soundtrack stand out for you? It's it's kind of like an instant thing, really. It's I think it's when 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 I'm reacting because mm-hmm. I'm kind of like 
I'm perceptive to to sort of music and film anyway. So when I watch a film, I am interested in what's going on with the sound design anyway. But like things will jump out. Like for instance, um, the latest Blade Runner. Now I'm a huge Blade Runner fan and 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 love Vangelis's work on the original Blade Runner and pretty much obsessed with it. Um, and so I wasn't really sure what to expect with the new film, with the film and the score. And it was supposed to be Johan Johansson scoring this film. And and um, I'd gone to the cinema and I was ready and I just cried at a point when I just heard this amazing nod to Vangelis. Hmm. And I and I started crying and I was like, wow, <laughs> OK. That's a reaction I wasn't prepared for but I think also because I'd never seen Blade Runner the original in a cinema Mm -hmm. and and it's kind of one of those things I'd always wanted to do and just you know just how epic that film was um so I think I'm, I'm struck I'm sort of hit by something in a soundtrack. And I think with that, it was the nod to Vangelis. Mm-hmm. And then um, I later found out that it was actually Hans Zimmer mm. who scored the film. So, yeah, so and another huge Hans Zimmer event. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so, um, so I, I wondered if it was more I was struck by his work mm-hmm. and being familiar with his work or whether it was actually this nod that I heard to Vangelis. It's kind of like a weird nostalgia thing. Like when you when you go to a restaurant and you have a really good dish and it's really good because it reminds you of like some dish that your mom used to make for you when you were little kind of thing. Like, yeah. I think that's really, maybe that's why people make remakes of films. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think, I think it's a risky business making a remake of a film in so many different ways. Mm-hmm. But like, because you're never going to please everyone. It's like, you know, not every part of that film was I completely blown away by or, or loved, but the sentiment and the length of it, I did. I was really sort of taken by that and, and the sound and, and the soundtrack. But um, yeah, it's, um, it sticks with me, that one. But also Interstellar. I haven't seen that. Wow. Wow, <laughs> don't get me started. Oh my goodness, Interstellar. Um, the film, again, it's pretty good. I like it. But the, the soundtrack, Hans Zimmer. <laughs> he's done it again. He, he used a, a church pipe organ. Wow. And he, 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 he did this because you can't breathe in space. And he's, yeah, and, and he sampled, he sampled choirs breathing. Wow, that's amazing. You know, and, and it's heavy, heavy stuff. It's like the stuff sort of like dreams are made of when it comes to like scoring something. Mm-hmm. It's like, hey, I'm going to get a whole choir. I'm going to feel my choir and sample, sample them breathing <laughs> for my film score that I'm doing. It's like expensive yeah but it's also just like a really cool idea like I really like when a soundtrack has that kind of thought put into it you know I think it's maybe a bit rare these days yeah that's it's yeah it's definitely how I end up thinking about stuff when I'm writing Mm -hmm. for for visuals and so has the soundtrack always been an essential part of film watching for you like for me I think I didn't really start appreciating the art behind it until I got a bit older um, I think for me, it's always been part of the experience watching film um, from really, really early on because it was how I, I I was learning music through it. I was learning um, sort of the the really interesting rules of music through watching films, like mainly musicals when I was growing up. Like, name a musical I haven't, I haven't watched <laughs> or been obsessed with. Guys and Dolls, that one, not interested. But it's like, I just I just live for, when I was a child, I just lived for um, musicals. I did too. And, I was a really yeah. big musical fan. Well, I still am. Yeah, yeah. And there's lots of really, like, complex stuff going on in musicals. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, aside from any, like, choreography or anything like that, it's like, you've got to tell a story. It's got to make sense. But it's also got to have that musical element that can be remembered. It's like complex complex stuff um and then you've got to enjoy it (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. as well it can't just be like a formulaic thing so um like one of them that springs to mind is annie Mm -hmm. like 
that I used to watch that film on VHS on repeat and my stepsister basically she threw the tape away <laughs> Because you were watching it so much. I watch, I watch it like, you know, OCD kid who would just watch things on repeat over and over again. <laughs> it was like, it just sort of disappeared. And, and I watched it again during lockdown just to see what was going on. And How did it hold up? It's, it's clever. It's a clever, clever thing. <laughs> really, really clever. And I listened to the lyrics a bit more. And it became, it became, it became, it became even cleverer. <laughs> it just seemed to be sort of on another level. So, yeah, I, I think from a really early age, music has been really important when it came to films, different types of films. Yeah. And so was it musicals that were kind of the catalyst for you or like the turning point that really changed your appreciation for the art form? I think I was a TV kid. I was a TV audio kid. So I I just watched a lot of television. And what I would do is, is I'd mimic things. So I would learn the theme tune to a cartoon that I liked, you know, or I would try and play something that I'd heard. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. um, if I was near a piano, I'd be like, oh, what's... Uh, what? Can I play the Simpsons theme tune? <laughs> da, 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 da. And it, I'd sit there until I could play it with one finger, you know? So it, there was some... There was definitely, like, a connection to it really early on. Like, a need to understand it, be involved. And so was there a particular film or television show that you feel maybe had an influence on you in, in that it kind of guided you into this career as a musician? Um, there's, there's probably quite a few. I think the, 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 one, the, the one that sort of stands out for me, funnily enough, is another musical, which is Sound of Music. Mm -hmm. Because I remember watching it and really suddenly having this moment where I was like, wait a minute, they're all singing slightly different things <laughs> on top of each other but now they're singing the same thing on top of each other but it's working it's making sense and I started to understand patterns in melody and 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 the first time I ever really understood how a round worked and then I was thinking that's so clever you can <laughs> say and sing the same thing but at different points and it all comes round and it harmonizes and I was like that okay that's what I want mm. It didn't really work out like that. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't do music straight away, but it was definitely like... The Sound of Music was like the first, like, wow, wow, this is huge. I was learning. Mm -hmm. I, was, I was learning a lot of stuff. Um, and then it really was theme tunes to mm -hmm. TV programmes. Um, one of them was Cheers. I don't know who remember Cheers. I do, but I can't think of what the theme Where song is. Where everybody knows your name. Ah, uh, of course. Do, do, do. <laughs> and um, and later on, and later on, um, I I decided to search out sort of like theme tunes. And the thing with theme tunes is, they're actually usually snippets of a much larger song. And so lots of people don't realise that this is a huge song, and they've taken a tiny bit of this, and that's become the theme tune. And if you Google the Cheers theme tune and read the lyrics. It's kind of weird. It's really, it's really quite dark. And, um, and I'll, I'll, I'll let you do that because you'll, you'll find <laughs> out the story in this theme tune. And I just, I just liked that part of it that not everyone would know that it's a, it's a much bigger song or a much mm. bigger piece of music. And, mm -hmm you've discovered that it is more than that. But I mean, I think it's interesting, like what you were saying before about how a theme tune is like, you know, supposed to encapsulate everything that's going to happen in the show. So you kind of get an idea about it. Do you feel like, you know, a title track on your album or like your first single on so such and such album is kind of like the theme theme tune for your work, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, good question. I think um, I'd never really thought about having an album anyway like releasing an album so a title track um <laughs> i didn't even think about that i think my 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 music when it's when it's my stuff i feel is really it's super personal um and i guess i probably have tracks that move me quicker um 
and so I might call them the title at the title track or something but it's like I'm I'm one of them who you know I listen to my own music to sort my head out it's it's like my my music is my therapy and so um the title track will shift it might be one 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 week or month and then it'll be another um another week or month and and when I'm writing for myself I'll listen to my work while I'm writing because what the, what I have is is I have this thing and I guess from being really young is that I mimic stuff I um if I've heard something and um it speaks to me if I sit in the studio and go to write I'll usually emulate that um not to the point where anyone might recognize it but it's enough for me not to listen to other people's work when I'm writing mm -hmm. because it just it just feels it it feels like it comes from the right place if I'm just listening to my work or or I'm not this or I'm listening to genre of music that has absolutely nothing to do with what I'm doing you've talked a lot about how you draw influence from film score composers. So can you tell me about who are some of your favorites? You mentioned Hans Zimmer already. And, you know, what makes them special or maybe influential for your own creativity? Um, I think the main one really for me is Bernard Herrmann. Um, with, I mean, he's, I, I talk about him a lot, but he's, he's probably like, obviously like best known for all of the Hitchcock work that he did. Mm -hmm. um, and there's this element of well, it's a huge element but it's this darkness that this composer has that doesn't sit in the darkness the entire time it's like he invokes this fear in you but gives you a way out do you know what I mean so it's mm -hmm. like so you're gonna be okay but it's gonna put you through it do you know mm -hmm. what I mean mm -hmm. and so there's I just, I just feel quite, I feel connected to someone who can translate that. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Because it is really about translating what's going on on the screen. And these, these scenes can be so complex with nothing but the visual and the audio from the composer to make sense of what's going on in the scene. So it's like just that, just the complexity of what he does, or or at least what I can identify with. I can I can understand. I can hear, and I can also sit back and not watch the film, mm -hmm. and still listen to those pieces and be moved by them. But at the same time, I can watch that film and have that piece of music and be so lifted by it, and be like, wow, you know, like Vertigo is just such a beautiful, beautiful film. And um, and then you know with Psycho, it's like the opposite mm. of when you got when it comes to scoring. It's like the opposite of fear and desperation and loss. Yet it's the same same guy who's managed to do that in two very very different types of films. In an interview with RBMA from a few years ago of yours, you mentioned that the arrangement of a piece is especially important for you and that film scores from the 40s and 50s and 60s really paid deep attention to arrangements. Can you talk a bit about what you meant by that? Yeah, I think um, that's those sort of eras of um, film scoring and music. It really, they, they would use orchestras. Mm -hmm they would be in huge studios with full orchestras and have all these different wonderful classical instruments and these spaces to use for these scores. So it it comes down to like a technical thing as well with um, timing. It's like you have these um, musicians for, I don't know, two weeks and you've got to record this whole score that you've been writing for however long. It's so important. There's so much resting on all this time. Um, and that it's like, it just feels like modern day music at that time, sort of 50s and 60s and 70s, it was orchestrated with an orchestra and there's this sort of like depth to it. Hmm. And arrangement is so important because it, the, the arrangement is, I would say, is, is the story part. It's you're telling the story through the arrangement. 
if you put the wrong part of the story at the beginning, it's like it's not going to make any sense. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like so um, arrangement is is the part that moves me. Um, and I can pick up on people's tastes in arrangement, you know. There's there's all sorts of things involved, like pace is 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 one of them that I love. When 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 a composer knows when to leave space, and and so there's this this moment when you're not fed music and you're not being told what's going on in the scene, um, and how that works when you're not watching the film. Do you see what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's so it's like it arrange. I think I think arrangement is probably the most important part of composition when it comes to moving image and film, mm-hmm. because if you don't put things in the right place, it's not going to make any sense. So I mean, in terms of comparing soundtracks from the fifties and sixties to soundtracks today, like what would you say differentiates them? Um, I mean, is it just is it just coming down to like this kind of intention of having, you know, a soundtrack recorded by an orchestra, or is there something else that makes them different from each other? I actually think they are very very similar. I think the boundaries are different, and technology is different. Um, and I think another difference between those times was there were very few composers working commercially at those times and technology's meant now that a lot more people are asked to create music for film tv it's like you know it's it's almost like these um the the playing field has changed mm-hmm. slightly in that you know these these film houses would have composers that they work with for most of their directors do you know what I mean? So, whereas that isn't necessarily the case right now, it's like, um, you. Uh, I mean, there's there's a few partnerships that I'm just absolutely in awe of, and I'm so glad they've met, and 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 they work together. So, um, I think technology is is the main thing that's the difference. Mm-hmm. I still feel like, you know, modern day sort of composition does sit within the world of classical music. I just think it's modern classical. Mm. Do you know what I mean? It's like you're still arranging, you're still um, placing instruments at certain points. And the thing about classical music for me is it's like the most epic storytelling. You know, you can play you can play a piece of classical music to a child who's never listened to classical music and then ask them what it's about. And they'll get it. They'll know what it's about. They'll tell you. They'll be like, oh, I, 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 I heard some trees in a wood and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but that's the power of classical music. And, and I think that's what composers are still doing now. It's just mm-hmm. technology's differed, changed. I think it's interesting um, just thinking about the use of orchestras in that way, like especially compared to now where, you know, hypothetically one person could write an entire soundtrack to a film from their bedroom with a few machines and a bit of software. Do you think that orchestral film scores are maybe more effective in in that sense? Or, you know, d- would it sound just as good if it was by one one producer working in their bedroom? Yeah, I think it's it's hard to say. I think I think that's a really good question because it's really difficult to say because I think in an ideal world, I would love to hear a orchestra every time someone <laughs> made a film and did a score. <laughs> but that's not always what's necessary and what's needed. Um, and as opposed to someone, you know, at home with all their all their all their kit and their samples and things, it's like that can be equally, if not matched or better than a score that's made with an orchestra. Mm-hmm. I think it really does depend on the artist. And in, and it also d- it depends on the engineers, it depends on the people mastering things. It's that there's a lot of people that go into things sounding really, really good. So it's a quite a complex question, that one. 
I interviewed the film score composer Bill Conti, and he famously used 31 orchestral musicians for the soundtrack to Rocky. And when we were talking, we I kind of brought up a similar subject about, you know, whether or not he could have just used a, a synthesizer, for example, and, and made the whole thing himself. And he said that, you know, pretty simply, he just felt he could only make the sound that he wanted using exactly 31 musicians. And that's the only way that he wanted to tell the story. So is that something that resonates with you, like this idea of, you know, telling the story that you have in mind, only that's only possible, you know, with exactly this instrument or this piece of hardware or this piece of software? Yeah, I, I've, I, my brain doesn't work that way. <laughs> I mean, I do, I do put, I do create rules for myself. I find I create mu- rules musically for myself because I'm not classically trained. So when I go to write something, I will set some parameters. Um, Instrument-wise, I tend to like just use the piano to begin with. And for me, the piano just makes sense. It helps me make sense of most things. Whether or not it stays on the piano, I usually begin with the piano for a melody, you know, I'll just play around with it and see what happens. Um, and that might turn into something else. But um, I don't usually put up those kinds of parameters or, or walls. Mm-hmm. Um, it tends to be much more... Um, I spend quite a lot of time with the visual and then we'll sit at a piano and see what happens and then it'll then it'll move into whatever it needs to do. But um, I can't imagine... I'm really trying to think why he'd uh, why he'd do that. <laughs> I guess there's there is there is an element of safety within it mm-hmm. because sometimes these things can become infinite, and you can get lost um, and and spend you know a few weeks a bit kind of bewildered and a bit like ah so maybe actually giving yourself those kinds of rules is really helpful because you can actually function and work yeah sure productively so can you tell me a bit about how exactly you're thinking about arrangement in terms of your own music or it's kind of how you're drawing influence from the work of film score composers yeah I think um what springs to mind is a live show that was a huge one for arrangement um and I did it first um in January actually this year at um, CTM I opened CTM festival at Bergheim and um, it was it was one of the most moving moments I've had so far. Really, really something else. Um, and what I wanted to do with this piece was I knew I was playing at Bergheim and I really had this feeling that people... I mean, I've been there so many, like, countless times and it felt like it was a place of worship in a way that I wasn't happy with, in a way that I thought, I don't know if I want to... What's the word? It just I wanted to change the space. I wanted to change the atmosphere in there. Basically, I, I felt like, you know, I'd been to CTM Festival a few, few times and I'd really enjoyed it and, and, and I, I loved that the audience were pretty mixed like people from all over the world would come to ctm Mm -hmm. it wasn't a festival for berliners it was it was a festival for you know the planet and so i wanted to change the atmosphere in this place that people had an expectation of i think they had an expectation of what they would be seeing and hearing when they went to this place you know and and there was a huge amount of pressure so i felt like the arrangement of my live show was really really important so I wanted to give people something that they didn't think they were going to have from me, and that was to start with acoustic piano and strings and something that I hadn't done for a really long time, which was vocals. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to create a choir within the Burkite on the main floor. I wanted to turn it into a church. I wanted to turn it into a different place of worship. Do you know what I mean? Somewhere that you could just really let things go and not be judged, you know? Um, that's how I understand a church, you know? And so um, I opened with um, a piano piece, so I was playing piano, and this vocal piece, which was kind of like a round that I was doing. 
And I was so nervous about singing that I decided to um, improvise. Good work, Hen. <laughs> improvise when you're already so nervous. My leg underneath the table was like... Like this. And I had to tell my leg no and stop to sing. And um, so I was petrified, but I, I sang. And it moved into... Um, more strings and more piano and then I moved into synths and I took it to to another place but I really wanted there to be this 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 bed of changing the atmosphere you know like I would I, I thought I would love to go to Bergheim and hear piano <laughs> you know like with the acoustics in that space and that sound system that whole thing um and then you know, and, and another thing to, to, to sort of mention is I had to be aware of that I was at Berkheim. Mm -hmm. So I also wanted to do things that people would really enjoy, as in have a dance. So by the end of the set, it's turned into really hard techno. <laughs> it's turned into this melodic, hard techno that's on repeat with weird swells in it. And I'm messing things up with my fingers because I'm having such a nice time you know with the synths and stuff and and so I think that for me arrangement wise was one of the most important arrangements that I'd, I'd done because it just meant everything it really did it meant everything and 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 when I'd finished I was speaking to a few people and and it worked some people cried they they felt like they could let go and that's what I wanted. That's what I wanted. Do you generally find it challenging to kind of manage the expectations around, you know, the venue or the crowd or whatever with the story that you want to tell? It's definitely considered. Definitely, definitely considered. And I've learned that um, from, you know, I've been playing in bands for like 20 years. And... Um, the, the difference between this is is that I've been playing with other people and this is like a solo thing. You're on your own and everything is resting on you and and so everything is super, super, super considered. You know, I've done I've done really <laughs> quite aggressive electronic sets in spaces where I really should have thought about <laughs> doing that really <laughs> aggressive set. And and, you know, personally it's been fine for me. But I felt that, you know, the room might not have been the right space for them to get it, you know? And I'm not judging them. I'm saying that I learned to consider the space that I'm playing in, <laughs> you know, to consider that as well. So, um, yeah, it, it's, it's definitely a um, part, of the, part of the process and part of the, the actual putting a show together. So I know that you also worked on the score for the documentary Kamali. Can you talk about that experience? Yeah, that was that was that was a brilliant experience because it came at a time when I was sort of transitioning between I was kind of like, what am I doing? Like <laughs> seriously, what am I doing? It's like I've done all this stuff, but I just don't want I don't know what I'm doing and I'm, I'm, you know, releasing work and whatever. I was just really confused. And I just got this email out of the blue from Sasha Rainbow, the director. And she said that she'd listened to um, SoundCloud of mine, which was a really old one that I just had some piano pieces on there. And she said she's, she'd, um, she was, she'd finished this documentary and she'd love me to work on this piece. And we never met and we arranged to meet in London and it didn't happen and I thought oh no I've offended her I don't know what's going on and and then she came back and it was like no it's fine and we just got started and I just said just send me the film and let me let me watch this hmm. and um what I do is is is, is when I'm writing for, for for film is I'll, I'll I'll watch in silence with no dialogue no no editing of music that they might have put in there already as a reference, nothing like that, and sort of just get a feel for it. And it was, it was, what I've learned through doing this kind of work is there's a lot of back and forth. And what you've got to remember is that they are asking you 
to provide work for them. And so you've got to be ruthless with your own work and let things go if they don't like something. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like that's part of your job. It's like, I can let that go, even though I was up for three days and <laughs> I was really moved by it and I managed to find out this thing totally worked and you're just like, we don't like it. We want more of this. And you're like, oh, it's cool, it's fine. <laughs> and, and, and it, and it, but it really has to be. Like, mm -hmm. you can't just say it, it really has to be. So it was, it was a really quite a close um, relationship for quite a long time. Um, uh, with back and forth with different pieces and and Sasha would pick up on some pieces and and, and not for others um but yeah it was it was quite moving working on that one just to build on what you were saying about you know watching the film in silence for the first time um so Terence Blanchard who's the musician who works with Spike Lee quite a bit um he said that Spike Lee will often shoot scenes and already know what what the music will be like and he can hear it in his head when he's shooting a particular scene and I thought that was really interesting because it seems like a very relatable way of working like I feel like a lot of creative people are just very visual learners so is that something you can relate to like you know when you were watching the documentary for the first time could you already hear where the music was going to go or what kind of story you were going to tell with the music yeah yeah I think and I think that's why I I, I work that way because it does it does come to me. It's like, you know, things start to make sense if, because I, I think my brain is always sitting in that side. You know, I'm, 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 <laughs> I'm constantly thinking about sound. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's just, it's, it's all the time, every day. So um, I'll often soundtrack things that are going on in my day anyway. Like I've I've had this thing since I was a kid and I've called it like, it's like this kind of musical Tourette where if something's going on emotionally, like in a conversation or I've observed someone or I'm stood somewhere, I'll usually have a pop song that relates directly to what's going on at that point. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll either have to just sing it in my head or it will just come out and I'll start singing it. Um, <laughs> And um, a good example of that was I went to a bakery the other day and I was stood outside and I couldn't understand why no one was wearing any face coverings and everyone was just like mulling around like nothing's going on. And I'm stood there waiting for my sandwich with this face, face covering on and I just started singing, don't stand, don't stand, don't stand so close to me. And it's just like... And some woman heard me and the way she looked at me, she was like, she was so disgusted, but it, it's like sound and music and, and making sense of situations with music is like a constant for me. It's like it never ends. But so speaking of like putting, putting music to real life, like was it, was there a kind of pressure that came along with working on this documentary because the film is about real people and like, did you feel like you had to do their story justice, if you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I think um, that responsibility is definitely there, but I reconcile it in my mind through empathy. I think um, as long as you have empathy in these situations, in what you're sort of seeing, it's a way of being able to translate, you know? It's like empathy's there. It's like I'm going to do my very best to make sense of your story or your situation in a way that other people might be able to become empathic to that. Because I think sometimes it's not that obvious, you know. Um, I, I think empathy is something that a lot of people are learning right now, you know. It's like it's really important. It's like if, if, you, if you can't or haven't put yourself in that situation or at least you haven't tried it's going to be very difficult for you to understand. So so empathy for me is the way of sort of like translating that when I'm writing. And that sort of helps me sort of deal with that pressure of audibly, you know, describing someone's situation or personality. So do you think that you brought that to your own methods of producing for yourself, I mean? 
I early early days when I was sort of just getting the confidence to actually finish pieces of music that I was writing. It was like I actually had to be comp like like build the confidence because I was judging myself so much mm-hmm. within it. I'm sat in my studio on my own. No one else is there, and I'm I'm saying to myself, "Oh, this sounds like blah 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 blah,", blah. and I'd literally have to just say, "No, it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> you like it." Just do it. Let it go. <laughs> yeah. And 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 that's changed. You know, I, I'm not I'm not as judgmental to myself anymore when it comes to music. Yeah. And and that's where I feel better because I I I I am empathic to my situations. A lot of the songs, the pieces that I'm writing, they directly come from trauma of a traumatic moment or or, or or something that I'm feeling. And I think the music itself becomes that empathic thing. For me, it's like, I can, oh, it's okay. I understand. I get it. I understand. Do you know what I mean? But it's, 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 you know, because I don't, I don't have lyrics in my, in my pieces. They're, they're all instrumentals. Mm. So it's like, I've got a lot to say, but it's, without using any words. <laughs> <laughs> so is the kind of audio-visual relationship something that extends to your music outside of, like, composing for a film? Like, for example, um, I spoke with the composer Max Richter, and he said that he sees a lot of color in his music, often, like, blues and reds uh, when it comes to listening to his own music. So is, it, is there a similar thing for you? Like, do you see images or associate colors when you're listening to your own music? Um, I, I I sort of see that as a kind of, like, synesthesia. Um, mm-hmm. I... I have something called Erlen syndrome, mm-hmm. which is um, my, my brain processes light really quickly. So um, I, I, I have shadows on a lot of things a lot of the time. Mm. Um, and um, the effect of, you know, when a flash goes off in your in your face and suddenly you've got like the perfect image of whatever flashed in front of your face, mm-hmm. like in front of your face, that happens quite a lot with me most of the time. And so I'm really sensitive to light and color. Um, and it, it, I, it doesn't react with music, but um, I think it's really sort of steered how I perceive a lot of things um, because I suffer from migraines a lot and they're kind of like debilitating. I get paralysis and all sorts of crazy stuff. Um, and so it, it is, it is, like I said before, it's like the music that I make seems to be therapeutic for me. Um, and it may be that there's like a visual element in there that I've not really recognised, not really thought about. But, um, you know, I, I, another thing to mention is like, you know, not, not being classically trained. When I've had to learn pieces of music, like long pieces of music for a live set, I've used colour. Hmm. So I've, 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 or, or I've used numbers. <laughs> I have everything numbered because it's like I can work within those kind of patterns. So there's definitely a visual element to when I'm writing. And I guess those are my processes and those are my rules rather than it being like a reaction, I think. Um, yeah, I need, I need, I need order in colour, definitely. So I know that you are a big Drexia fan and like for me personally, I really loved learning the story behind their work. And I loved that there was this whole world beyond what you can hear in their in their records. So is the creation of a world like that or the creation of like this kind of visuals or imagery that goes along with your music? Is that something that interests you as a producer? Um, it has done. It's like I feel like everything... It really, it really does. It, I just feel like everything is so considered. Everything is so, 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 so considered. I mean, with the um, artwork for the um, album, I was working with Fazim Bati, and we would just have these three, four-hour-long conversations about Afrofuturism and and my heritage and his heritage, and and it's. It's always there. It's like it's like the extension of this art. It's like there's 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 always there always has to, 
for me, there's always a story behind something. It's like I can't um, work without there being a story behind something. So, like, everything on that album has a specific story behind it. Um, and, and that's how I came up with Afrodeutsche, because I was searching for my identity, which was my story. Do you know what I mean? It's like, um, so I guess I felt in some ways there were some sort of cosmic links with Drexia and those stories because I was learning so much when I was doing sort of research about colonialism and and um, slavery and, and, and all sorts of things that I had sort of dipped my toe in before, but never really had. Obviously, it's, it's, it's connected to me, but I'd, 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 I hadn't spent any real time going into it, you know? It had been some distant, almost mythical thing that I'd almost tried to ignore. It's, um, you know, a painful thing to sort of accept into your life, you know, it's I'd rather just get on with it and, you know, but it got to the point where musically I needed to be making my own music and I couldn't make music without there being this, this story and it just so happened that I was on this journey of looking for my dad. And so, and, and that's sort of where it came from. So, so yeah, it's like... For me, personally, the, when I write, there has to be something behind it and real. So does that storytelling, you know, telling your own personal story, does that extend to things like album art or, you know, if you had a music video, for example, or even things like, you know, your press photos? Is that all kind of part of this same storytelling world? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, it, it's, it, it always, I think it always will be connected it's like I, I I used to make clothes and so I I make all my costumes you know for the live show and things like that and it just I've realized actually during lockdown that I am a stubborn person <laughs> who doesn't really like asking for help <laughs> <laughs> and someone called me tenacious uh the other day and I had to google it because I was like, what's tenacious? What's tenacious? And I read it and I was like, well, yeah, actually, because... And I feel like that's what I'm like when it comes to my music. It's like I'll, I'll, I'll have something I'll want to wear because it will make sense, and so I'll have to make it. You know, my costume for the Bergkind show, I wore a um, black veil over my head so you cool. couldn't see me. So it covered my entire face. So you couldn't see me. So I was this distant thing, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and that, for me, was protection. I was terrified. <laughs> and that was, for me, for protection. But it was also, it just felt like it was my story. It's like, I'm vulnerable as well, just like you. Because we're all the same, basically, as well as trying to say. <laughs> Very long-winded way of going, we're all the same. I'll just put a veil over my head so you can't see, can't see my facial expressions or me crying or me shaking. Um, <laughs> it's what I did. <laughs> but yeah, it's always very, very closely linked. Yeah. So, I mean, you've definitely answered this question already. Um, I was going to ask you if you consider yourself a storyteller, like despite the fact, as you mentioned, your music doesn't have any lyrics, uh, you know, there's no music videos or like other cues that would help us understand the story, but obviously you still consider yourself very much a storyteller. I do actually, and I've only just realised it. I mean, in the, you know, in the past, I don't know, however months, um, I am a storyteller. I like translating stuff, you know, I feel like I do that, um, I do that a lot. And I think sometimes it can be to my, you know, to my detriment because I'll, 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 I'll take the pressure on doing that with my friends as well, you know, how you sort of take on what's going on with your friends and you want and, and you sort of you have that empathy and you really try and understand what's going on and you really try and, you know, be that person that can help. Um, so... 
I, 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 I found with my music, it's been something that's sort of helped some people, you know, like just translate some stuff that's going on with them, you know, like, oh, there aren't any words, but oh, I feel like, oh, yeah. Oh, I didn't realise I was that miserable. <laughs> no, I'm fine because it picks up at the end with the optimistic part. Um, <laughs> you know, I feel like it's like it's just if I if I felt it, if I felt this way, other people have as well. Mm-hmm. That's how I see it. I feel like if I felt this rejected, other people have got to have felt like this. And if there's some way that I can translate that feeling of coming out of that rejection it's like that's got to be good you know like but you don't necessarily want someone singing about it (laughs) (laughs) you got rejected (laughs) and now you're okay you don't really want to do that it's like it should be you know a, a much um a thing with much more ease so i know that break before make was a really personal record for you um yeah, I guess just going off what you just said about like, you know, if you felt that way, surely somebody else has felt that way. But do you think that like the same emotions or images or feelings for the listener are the same as they are for you when you're making it or or, or listening to this record? I think it's changeable. I think it's changeable because if if I think about how I listen to things and when I listen to things and when I listen back to things... I'll, because I've made the piece, I'll know where I was when I made it and how I felt when I made it. But I might actually use that piece in a different situation to make me feel all right in a slightly different situation. Like I might just need to walk and I am paranoid and I don't want to be, I don't want anyone to see me or look at me or whatever. And I have my headphones on and I have this piece of music on and I am almost liberated. Like I can walk, I can be seen, I can walk into this space or whatever. Um, But that might not necessarily be what's happening with them, but at that time, but it also could be, do you know what I mean? It's like, um, yeah, I think, I think the pieces can be more than what I've made them. It's like I like I think the first time I experienced it, it actually sort of moving someone else was actually my first my first um live show in Manchester. I'd um I was supporting Doppler Effect. Mm. Can you believe it? Nice. I was supporting Doppler Effect. <laughs> this was like this was like the most cosmic night ever. <laughs> and 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 on so many levels and um I'd finished playing and I went outside for a cigarette post gig sig and I was stood on my own and I was still nervous. I was still shaking. And this lad comes up to me and he was like, yeah, I really, really enjoyed the set. And I was like, thanks. Like surprise. And then he said, uh, yeah. Um, uh, yeah. I didn't realize uh, your music was so emotional. <laughs> <laughs> I looked at him and I was like, yeah, you're right. It is, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and and so it's just like I di- I didn't make it th- thinking or believing that I would ever play it mm. or that it would be an album's worth of work. Mm-hmm. So that's why I think it's so personal because it really wasn't about releasing it. It was about me getting rid of some stuff. You've also said that you prefer when your work is kind of conjured up from darker moments rather than kind of having happy sessions in the studio. Do you think that that music somehow feels more cinematic or perhaps more visual than happy music? Yeah. I, yeah, I think that's that's a really good point. I think um, I measure myself on... I I, I think... I'll I'll think that my work's presentable if I'm moved by it. Um, if I'm not, I get really frustrated and I don't think it's any good. Um, and that might be a, a, a bad thing for me, but um, yeah, and that does tend to come from a darker place, a darker space. And I think um, often people struggle to go there um, because 
it's almost like a fear of not being able to come out of that. It's like, or, or I actually don't want to. I'd rather not, thanks. I'd rather have a really nice dance, thanks, if that's cool with you. It's so I think, I think that tends to be the more moving part because I don't think people let themselves go there as often, or at least those parts sit there. Um, but it's harder to go there. Do you know what I mean? So I, uh, um, for me, it's like, oh, I can go there with music and then I can put it down and I can let it go and do something else, like the washing up, um, and, and, and have that space from it. That must be very therapeutic. It is. It, it's like I am so blessed with that. What about with DJing? Does storytelling also come into play there? Like, I feel a lot of DJs are really keen to talk about their sets as, like, a journey. Um, but I wonder, you know, if storytelling means something deeper to you or, like, what kind of narratives are you hoping to explore with your DJ sets? Oh, yeah. There's there's um, there's definitely storytelling in when, when I'm DJing. It's usually a nostalgic thing for me. I'm usually going off, like, what I want to dance to. And there'll be... There'll be one, like, if I'm putting, like, a set together, um, I'll have, like, certain tracks I definitely, definitely want to play because I want to dance to that track. And then I'll work around how to get those in. And I realised the other day... <laughs> I realised the other day that I really love dancing. So the, so the sets are pretty high energy from the word go. My my th that story there is is usually like a nostalgic thing. Like I want to dance to something I danced to when I was like fifteen, and um, I remember where I was or where I heard it or what tape I listened to that track on or or something. It'll definitely be that, and that is actually, you know, it turns out it's quite a good storyline for other people. You know, whether you've whether you know the piece already or if you, you've heard it for the first time, it's just good to dance to. Do you know what I mean? Mm. I think the main thing for me is nostalgia. Like I've been playing loads more hip hop recently, like in NTS, like playing DJ Shadow. It's like I love DJ Shadow. And I was like, I haven't listened to Organ Donor for ages. Then I was like, oh, yeah, but the original track. Oh, my goodness. I can play both. And so it's like. It always comes from something historical, like nostalgic. I'm like, oh, I really want to listen to that. I want to dance to that. So in what other ways are you hoping to incorporate your love of film into your work as a musician? Um, I am... It's, it's, it's hard because I think it's quite a difficult industry to sort of get into and work at. And my way of doing it has, has seemed very serendipitous. Is that a word? Serendipitous, yep, is that a word? Is, yeah, Brilliant. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to use it again. It's very serendipitous in that I have been in the company of people who have needed music and they've asked me to do it and I've not been sure I could do it. So I wouldn't even think of myself as a composer, you know. So I think you know, now it's it's one of them. It's like, I'll just keep inviting those offers, you know, people asking me to do things and I'll try it and, and I might fail or I might, I might not. So it's definitely somewhere where I'd like to be and sit and that is in composition. Um, I sort of mentioned earlier that there's like some pairings of people that I just think are just so cosmic. Um, and um, Jonathan Glazier and, can you guess? Mika Levi. Mika Levi. Oh! Yeah. It's nice. a brilliant, brilliant pairing with Under the Skin. And I'd never listened to any of her work before this film. And, and I didn't know who'd scored it And when I first watched it. And I was so struck by this. I just went and found out who she was and the rest of it. And um, suddenly I was, like, really tuned in to their language. And I was watching, um, again, television, love TV. And um, I don't know if anyone remembers the... Uh, there was a Channel 4, um, the iDents in between programmes. And there was this really beautiful, quite odd piece of work 
that would come up and it was sort of this um, sort of creature and stood next to this waterfall <laughs> with this costume on with lots of like feathers and lots of ornate things. And I was like, this music is amazing. And what's going on with this, with this ident? It was so bizarre. And um, it was Jonathan Glazier and Mika Levi. And it, and, and, and it wasn't a film. It was the bit in between programmes on Channel 4. Do you see what I mean? So it was like this pairing for me was just brilliant. Mm -hmm. It was like I'm literally in tune to everything that you're doing right now. Um, so, yeah, so I think that's probably my goal is to have that relationship with someone who makes film because it's... it's a, it's a um, it's a close thing. Yeah, I mean, I was just going to say, it seems like you just kind of have to keep the keep the doors open. Yeah, it, that's it. I think I, you know, I've 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 been working with um, a few people over the years, and I feel like I have, you know, a really good relationship with um, another filmmaker. So there's always been scope to work together, and we are working together at the moment. So it's like um, that thing could be happening without me even realizing it you know like but it, it's 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 definitely the dream scenario is having that relationship with someone who makes film and is really into music that's the thing